welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. How are you today? Good morning, Yuri. I'm very good. And how are you? I'm doing well. I, it's a it's a beautiful sunny day. How are things in Spain? It's a really beautiful sunny day. It's uh, actually uh, half past uh, noon here, and uh, it's typical uh, June day in the south of uh, Spain. Very warm. <laughs> that sounds absolutely wonderful. Why? What made you want to live in Spain? Well, uh, I am um, a Russian American, naturalized American. I was living in Florida uh, for ten years. Uh, I graduated there from the university, and uh, I was uh, recently married at the time, uh, wanting to start a family. And my husband is European, so we decided to uh, start our family in Europe. Mm-hmm. So I, I like um, I like Europe. I like the culture and the history and the whole um, the mindset, I guess. So anyway, I, I, we, did, we were looking we were looking for a place to start a family, something safe, something. Sure. Uh, yes, it was a good climate, and we lived in uh, Austria and London, uh, in uh, Bulgaria, and then we found this little town called Marbella, mm-hmm. uh, which is like not far from Gibraltar. It's the south coast of Spain on the Mediterranean Sea. And we thought it was perfect. It was just to raise children. And so I have three now. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Thank you. Well, wonderful. So your, so your story and your journey is absolutely fascinating. But before we dig into some details, I'd like to ask you about ballroom dancing. Mm-hmm. What made you want to become a, a ballroom dancer and, and a, a, a very successful ballroom dancer at that? Um, well, uh, I used to dance as a child. Uh, I used to do ballroom dancing and compete till I was about four, seven, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I immigrated and I continued dancing in America. I danced uh, uh, professionally. I danced with different uh, groups, not ballroom, uh, like other jazz and modern. And then I taught dance for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So dancing is a big part of my life. In fact, I got my uh, degree. I, I majored in math and <laughs> mathematics, <laughs> and I minored in dance mainly because when I immigrated to America, I didn't speak any English, mm-hmm. and those were the two things that I could do without, uh, you know, without good knowledge of English. Yeah. Math, as a Soviet, uh, you know, ex-Soviet, I was uh, very good in math, so that was relatively easy. Mm-hmm. And my dancing background, again, also didn't require also, you know, knowledge of the language. So so dancing has been a, a part of my life for many years, but after my second child, I um, I didn't have the time to to teach or to dance, and uh, then my third child and the career and everything. Mm-hmm. And just about five six years ago, I, I said, well, I really really miss dancing, and I just had this pull towards doing that, and I finally decided that I was worth it. <laughs> Let's put it this way, because very often we ignore this. Uh, our desires, our, the, the 
what the soul, uh, what feeds the soul, because we say, we find a million excuses, like, oh, no, I don't have the money now, I don't have the time now, I have other priorities, I'll do it later, I'll do it when I retire, and then, you know, life is over, and, you know, and, and then you, you don't do what you love. So I said, no, I'm not going to make that mistake. So I found a way to, um, to start dancing, and then every time I'd finish a class, it'd be like, oh, my, it's the best thing I've done, like, I'm so happy to be doing this, and, so yeah, I encourage everybody to do what what their soul is calling them to do because that's what feeds us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to then jump into because you because this, it sounds like your dancing career also kind of mimics the journey you had. How was it, or what was it like coming over at seventeen as a refugee and starting over? Uh. Very, very difficult and probably difficult also for people to understand what it felt like unless you experience it. Because at the time, it was 1987, so Gorbachev came into power uh, a year before that and started to change things around mm-hmm. uh, and gave uh, permission to uh, Jewish people to leave, you know, to go to Israel. But you when you get that permission, you become the enemy of the state, mm-hmm. and uh, you know everything is taken away from you. And and the way, I mean, my parents said, told me not to tell anyone we're immigrating because it was it was physically dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. if you consider to be the enemy, uh, you know, I don't know, all kinds of people could beat you up or something. Or anyway, they kind of kept me at home. They won't let me go anywhere uh, until we, we left. And uh, it was very difficult also because I was 17. I had a lot of friends. I was actually very happy. You know, be, growing up as a child in the Soviet Union uh, was not bad at all in the country because education was free and there was lots of things for the children. So later it got more difficult. But as a child, a teenager, I was having a very good time. I didn't want to leave. <laughs> uh, and especially at the, nobody could predict then that the wall would go down and the border would open up. At that time, mm-hmm. I was leaving thinking I will never ever see my friends again. I would never see the rest, my extended family again. Uh, we couldn't bring anything with us, not even pictures or group pictures. Uh, I'm not even talking about material possessions. Like we, we left uh, with just a little suitcase and $80 per person. So, uh, you know, leaving all that behind, but for me, especially, you know, my friends and family, and not being able to correspond with them because that would put them in, you know, in danger in a way because the KGB would be questioning them, but they're not, then people are not allowed to be in contact with, uh, we're, we're not allowed to be in contact with, uh, somebody who's outside, uh, of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So that, that was very, very tough. Uh, and on top of it, going to a country that after so many years of cold war, I mean, we didn't have a clear understanding. We thought it was just full of homeless people and, you know, bad people, you know, just kind of like <laughs> America, I'm pretty sure Americans felt about uh, the Russians or the Soviets. Right. Uh, in fact, when they immigrated, uh, it was the wave of immigration that did not happen for like nine years before that. Uh, so there were very, very few uh, Russian uh, immigrants at the time, and, and people were very surprised to to hear that uh, I am from Soviet Union or that I'm Russian because I did not fit into this um, 
uh, you know, the, the, the way they imagine uh, a Russian woman would look, you know, yes, petite the... and brunette, I'm just like, and they, they, they all thought, you know, this like this, this, this big, blonde, strong Olga, you know, kind of looking <laughs> woman, <laughs> so they couldn't understand. So, but, but they were, you know, very welcoming and, and, uh, you know, it's, it was, um, so yeah, it, it was difficult. Uh, and I, and I was um, depressed for a long time, and I felt really lost. I didn't speak the language, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I didn't know people. Um, I wasn't sure. I, I kind of lost my sense of identity in a way because the the mindset was so completely different to what I was used to. So so it took me like five years, to be honest, to mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to get over the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. And. Where did you? Where did your family end up living when you first moved over to the states? Uh, we ended up in uh, in Miami, in Florida, because my mother's sister immigrated nine years before that, which okay. I was saying it was. And so, yeah, so we had a bit of guidance, uh, but you know, I was seventeen, almost eighteen, and my parents needed to survive, and mm-hmm. I had a little brother that they had to look after. So immediately, I started. I had to look after myself. The whole survival thing kind of uh, kicked in, and uh, I worked many different jobs while I was putting myself through college. I couldn't count on my parents to help me because, like I said, they they needed to survive themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, in a way, it it was very good because when you're thrown into the deep end. And you have to swim or you die, you know, you, you, you learn to swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it taught me so much about, uh, what I'm capable of. Uh, and later on in life, you know, a lot of obstacles were not what many people would consider tough or difficult for me was not because of, okay, well, you know, this is nothing, you know, compared yeah. to that. So, you know, it builds the character. It makes you stronger. It helps you understand that you're capable of so many things that you would not be able to. Uh, to know unless you actually have to experience them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So it's it's very interesting. My so both my parents are uh, immigrants, and it's interesting hearing your story versus and their story because there's a lot of similarities. Because my my mother and that side came over from Russia, and my father came over from Italy, and um, you know both times when they came over, nobody spoke English. And I always listen to stories of my grandmother talking about how she used to watch soap operas to learn English. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. did so? Where in your own journey to learn English was it through the educational system or or was it through watching television? Uh, no, no television. I had no time for that because you know, <laughs> like I said, I had to work uh, and study. Uh, but because um, I left before I was able to get my high school diploma, okay. and I arrived with no diploma, uh, they would not accept me to college. They said I have to go to high school. And um, in the Soviet Union, schools, even high schools, are very highly, you know, kind of like China still is. Mm-hmm. You know, you you wear uniforms, you you cannot have makeup, you, you nail like everything have to be like your hair have to be pulled back. It's so uh, very regulated in that in that way. And when I went to, <laughs> I was in Miami, and we went to the high school. <laughs> yes, you're right to laugh because. Uh, I, you know, I got scared when I went inside. I really, I seriously, I, I looked at my mom and I said, they're going to eat me alive. <laughs> I, I knew they would because you know, I was just so unprepared for that. You know, the, it was what, uh, late eighties and this, you know, there was boom, boom boxes, you know, they remember oh, those, yeah. Like, yeah. Listening, yeah. And there were all this bright eighties clothes, you know, the little, the short skirts and the hair. And 
I, you know, I was like, where am I? I'm like on another planet. I said, mom, there is no way. There is absolutely no way I'm coming here. So, so somehow I, I, I managed to get into college to study English then. Okay. Then I had to leave. Then, you know, eventually I just, uh, and because I had to work, um, you know, I would just walk around with a little dictionary. Obviously, there were no phones then. Was like now it's very easy. You know, with yeah. the translators, uh, much more um, efficient. But yeah. then I was working with that little book, uh, the dictionary, and I would look for every word, a kind of point to the word, or try to say it. Um, so yeah, it took it took some time. But after two years, uh, mm-hmm. it took me two years to speak fluent in okay. English. But yeah, after six, seven months, I was already starting to communicate because there were no other people who spoke Russian. So right. you, you have to learn it. There's no other way. Yeah, that was my um, both of my parents had this very similar experience where it was it was they didn't they didn't have anybody else in their area. So they had to learn very quickly. So it's mm-hmm. when. So what did you do after college? So you went to you went to college studying math and, and dance. Did you yes. did you know what you wanted to do after college, or did you, I guess you know, try to do a you know find yourself or find another journey after you finish college? Yes, uh, you know what, uh, excellent question because um, that actually leads to why I started uh, my whole career of coaching and writing. Oh sure. I I uh, one of my biggest uh, points of. <laughs> internal suffering, I should say, is that I lacked purpose. I did not know what I wanted. This is this to answer your question. I really did not know. And I really envied people uh, that knew they were like, they had this clarity about what they want to study, who they want to be, what they want to do in life. It was uh, fascinating to me because I never knew. And I took all kinds of different courses uh, in college and then university to see maybe something will click and, and, and I would suddenly, you know, like it, but nothing was happening. Uh, I went to university after college. I went to university to study education simply because I wanted to travel and I thought, well, no matter where I go in the world, uh, they, they always need teachers. <laughs> you know, I would always get a job as a teacher and I did enjoy teaching and learning anyway. So. So I got my bachelor's in uh, elementary education mm-hmm. and teaching Eng- English as a second language. But even then, you know, I still wasn't, I still lack that, that sense of purpose. I wanted to, to change the world, to be honest. <laughs> I, you know, like a, a lot of, uh, a lot of people I think do, but I thought like, what can I do? You know, this little Russian girl in this big country, you know, like what, what can I do to change the world? Uh, and then uh, I realized that I made a decision mm-hmm. that I will become the best I can be. I will, you know, reach, uh, try and reach my highest potential. Because in my logic, I thought if everybody made that kind of decision and said, okay, if everybody said I will reach my highest potential and I will be happy and I will be like successful and fulfilled and so on, then this will be a much better world. In a way, yes. And mm-hmm. so, in so, in a way, you are changing the world just because you're changing yourself and you're making yourself better. So that that helped <laughs> a little bit with my purpose. And then when I moved already to when I graduated from university and I moved to Europe in '97, I started listening a lot to Brian Tracy's tapes, Anthony Robbins, and mm-hmm. reading a lot of books on self improvement. And then I went uh, back to university eventually to get my MBA. 
focusing on leadership, and that's when I learned about coaching. That was 2001. Okay. I learned about coaching, and I thought it was amazing. Like I, I absolutely loved the whole idea of mentoring and focusing on the future and focusing like present and the future and building from there. And and that's how I found my calling, and I, uh, I finally discovered my purpose. Uh, and then I made it my purpose to help other people, you know, <laughs> find their purpose because I knew how bad it feels not to have it. Mm-hmm. So that's a long answer to your question. Yeah. No, but that's a, that's a great answer. But thank you. Thank you. So, so along your journey to find your purpose, um, I know you you mentioned Tony Robbins. And were there particular, like, was there a particular Tony Robbins book or other books? that you were reading that really stick out as the ones that that helped the most? Yes, uh, yes. Spe- specifically, Brian Tracy's audio program, and it, it was cassettes at the time, mm-hmm. uh, it's called uh, Psychology of Achievement. Psychology of Achievement. I'm pretty sure it's still very um, uh, useful and, and very, uh, so, you know, something that people can still learn a lot from because he talks about, he, he talks about the laws of the universe and how to use those laws. And I learned, that's when I learned, first of all, that I'm responsible for my life. That was mm-hmm. a new concept for me then. Now it's very common. Everybody talks about it. Oh, you know, you, you, you create your own life. You, right. you know, they, they have tools and affirmations. At the time it was very new to me. Uh, about how you program yourself and how you everything happens through you and just that really empowered me mm-hmm. um, I find uh, surprisingly that a lot of people don't like to hear that uh, they much prefer living a life of uh, victimization and blame and having someone else responsible for what is not working in their life mm-hmm. but I, I found it extremely empowering uh, and I thought that you know if if uh, it's up to me how I experience this life, then all I need is to find the tools to build the life that I want. Mm -hmm. And that just really gave me like, okay, now I need to read this, I need to listen to that, and I did all the exercises, and I was very determined to build a good life for myself. Um, And another thing that I learned through the same program is about the emotion of guilt. And again, many people are raised uh, through guilt, you know, parents subconsciously often, um, I guess, manipulate children into behaving Mm -hmm. by using guilt. And so many people grow up with that uh, emotion kind of driving them on on the contrary, or just they they attract situations that make them feel guilty. And uh, that was me. You know, everything that was around me was kind of surrounded with guilt. Uh, And when I realized that, it's it's an emotion that is absolutely is very destructive, unnecessary, and unless I deliberately planning or wanting to to cause uh, pain to someone, you know there is no reason uh, to, for this emotion. There's no reason to feel guilty, and it's very destructive uh, and leads to um, very bad relationships and so on. So I stopped. Uh, I made a decision that I would not allow myself to, to be led by guilt and allow other people, you know, to, to make me feel guilty. And that made a huge difference as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that probably is a good transition into what your latest book is about, uh, which is Mastering Your Emotions. 
So what made you want to start writing and what made you want to write this book? Um, this is a, a second book under the umbrella of the one minute coach okay. uh, system, I call it. Um, I was uh, delivering workshops and trainings since, um, since, hold on a second, uh, 2002. Okay. Yes, a uh, year before my do- my second daughter was born. <laughs> yes, uh, to- since 2002, I started I started on the topic of accelerated learning techniques, the skill of learning how to learn. That was uh, quite a fascinating topic for me, mm-hmm. you know, whole bl- brain uh, learning. And I designed uh, all my training programs using accelerated learning techniques. You know, that's, like I mentioned, works with how our brain naturally uh, taking the information, how they uh, process the information, how we put out the information. So that's how I started. And I noticed that a lot of people who come to workshops and trainings and, you know, even do classes in universities, they do it with the best intention to Mm -hmm. learn, to, to be better and invest time and money and effort. And a lot of them would go back to their day to day life and forget over 90% of what they learned, which is a shame because, you know, you, you put so much effort, time and money into something. So I was thinking of a way to change that. And I started sending to all my participants this very short, I called them the one minute coach because I didn't want it to be more than a minute. Mm-hmm. I thought everybody's busy. They, they get too much information anyway. But I just wanted to send this little reminder of something they learned and specific action steps. Because information these days is not power. What is power is taking action based on the information that you receive. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wanted to make it as easy as possible, and I would give specific action steps. Okay, this is what we learned. Remember, this is what you can do with it, and you know. So, and I give steps. And uh, people really liked those um, messages, and they started to send them to their friends. And eventually I ended up with quite a very nice uh, subscriber base. Mm-hmm. And after two years, uh, people started asking me to, to put it in the book. Now I mentioned that my background is mathematics, you know, exact science. Uh, writing was my worst subject. <laughs> so I thought, me, an author, like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> I don't, I'm not a writer. <laughs> but I am somebody who likes to make things easy, uh, and, and uh, comfortable, you know, for, for people. So after they asked me a couple more times, I said, okay, I'll make it easy. I'll put it in a book. I knew nothing about publishing a book. But when you make, uh, when you uh, really want something, you say, okay, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Almost like you put it out there into the universe. It, it, everything that needs to happen comes your way. I, I find this in my life over and over again. If you really want something and you're clear about your outcome, the steps of how to get there, they, they reveal themselves. You just need to be open to receiving them. Mm-hmm. So almost immediately after I made that decision to publish a book, I got an, an email to to go to the book marketing university. It was by Mark Victor Hansen, who is the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Mm-hmm. So I flew to America and then I learned about book publishing. And so my first book, which I called The One Minute Coach, Change Your Life, one minute at a time was published uh, 11 years ago uh, and 
it became a bestseller, which was great. Uh, you know, after the book came out, two more people in this world started to believe in miracles. Me and my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, my mom for years would say, like, Masha, I can't believe you wrote a book. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's, it's a book. It's not a, a typical uh, self-help book. Uh, like I said, I use this system, the one-minute coach system that is very, it's very unique and very effective. Mm-hmm. Each chapter takes a minute. It's it's almost like a standalone chapter. You can use it. Uh, you can use my books as a reference guide. You can just open it on any page and use it as a message for today with some action steps. It's very uh, inspiring, broken down using this accelerated learning techniques, which has certain rules that you follow mm-hmm. that makes it very easy, uh, even complicated concept that some some of them that I use a little bit complicated, but I make it so easy for people to to understand that they love, they love uh, this book. So that's why I decided to make a series of the One Minute Coach books where I would partner up with people who are um, experts in certain fields. Mm-hmm. And then I would just write the book using this one-minute coach uh, format. So coming back to my last book, what you asked me about, um, The One-Minute Coach to Mastering Your Emotions, that came out uh, March this year, just a few months ago. And uh, mainly because, again, <laughs> my readers and my clients started saying, Masha, when is the next book coming? Mm-hmm. So I started writing initially a book on decision making because I thought, you know, the quality and I still think that the quality of the decisions that we make determine the quality of the life that we experience. So I thought it was an important book to to write on, on the, why we make certain decisions, uh, how to make better quality decisions. But some somewhere halfway through the book, uh, this topic of emotions came up and I sent out a questionnaire asking if people would prefer to read the book on decision-making or emotions or mastering emotions. And uh, a determining answer came from a 19-year-old who said, if uh, if I know how to master my emotions, I will be able to make better quality decisions. Mm-hmm. So, so I thought, well, that makes sense. So <laughs> I rewrote, rewrote the book and made it about uh, emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main reasons I, I chose this particular topic is because uh, about five years ago, my marriage broke up. And to me, you know, you ask me how difficult it was to immigrate. It was a joke compared to, <laughs> to the breakup of the marriage uh, for me mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. Sure. Maybe for some people it would be a different experience. But for me, uh, I'm an idealist. I'm the romantic. I thought, you know, would, <laughs> would go on forever. Mm-hmm. It was a big shock. It was just, uh, it was... Um, uh, facing my biggest fears and uh, even with all the tools I already had uh, by that time, it was very, very, very tough. And without uh, some very close friends and some help that I got, you know, I didn't know. And, and the fact that I had three children that I had to look after, uh, I was able to um, to get out of it. And again, I would say the best thing that happened to me, uh, as usual, when we faced with really tough challenges in life and we do not give in to them. Uh, we will always come out on top stronger, better, uh, kind of bigger people. <laughs> <laughs> I like myself much more now than I was five years ago. I put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that makes perfect sense. I uh, So I, I can understand part of that, having gone through my own divorce experience and uh, sa- same kind of way. I It was extremely difficult at the time, but 
you know, now I am stronger and I also like myself more too. So I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I understand that part. So the idea of fear is, is something I find uh, very interesting. And so you mentioned that a couple of different times. Mm-hmm. So in your, in your own experience, and you've gone through many experiences that um, make people very fearful and apprehensive. Mm-hmm. How do you approach fear and overcome it? I made a decision some time ago to do the things that I fear. Because this is, if you want to actually grow, um, and I think most people would want to, you have to make it one of your goals to face your fears. Because your fears are indications of somewhere where you um, you have a block, or you, you know, if you, if you give in to fear, your immediately your confidence, your self esteem, you know, goes down because you're allowing something else control you, which in this case is fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is actually one of the reasons why I the, the relationship broke up because I knew I had this incredible fear of losing uh, my husband, uh, being abandoned, I suppose. That was one of my biggest fears. Mm-hmm. And I read a quote, and it said, if you're scared to lose something, lose it and don't be scared anymore. And that was a determining uh, factor. I remember I read that quote, and I said, you know what? I don't want to live in fear anymore. Finish. And and I made that decision, and um, it was harder than I expected I will be honest with you, but um, at the end, it was definitely worth it, definitely. So facing fears uh, on the road to success, I guarantee that there is not a successful person out there that has not faced many, many fears. It's impossible. You cannot achieve success unless uh, you're good at facing fears. Hmm. Okay. In your own journey... What would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Um, well, I, I actually uh, mentioned it earlier when I spoke about um, being uh, des- being a designer, a creator of your own life. Cre- mm-hmm. And it should not be taken lightly. We are creating our life constantly, not just with the actions we take, not just with the thoughts that we're thinking, but even with our intentions, even when we, you know, have this idea of wanting to be something or to do something, we're already creating change because, you know, I operate from the understanding that everything is energy mm-hmm. uh, and it's actually been, you know, proven that it's all energy. So uh, everything, by everything, I mean, our thoughts carry particular uh, energetic vibration. Our emotions carry a particular energetic vibration. Uh, and so everything we do uh, creates uh, creates our future, attracts. The way it creates it is that we, by, by feeling certain emotions or by thinking certain thoughts, we attract something that resonates on the same vibration with those feelings, uh, those emotions, and those thoughts. So we would attract similar people into our life, certain circumstances to our life, certain experiences to our life. So when you become aware of everything, even the people, what they say to you, how they are, if you get angry with somebody or somebody irritates you, everything is a reflection of something that uh, is happening within you. And it's uh, 
you can get uh, angry or you can blame or you can find it fascinating and say, hmm, I wonder why this is irritating me. I wonder why this is happening to me. This is how I, I, I live my life. If something happens, I said, okay, this is interesting. Uh, I wonder why this person lied to me or cheated me. Like, did, how, why did I attract that? Did it, like, why did that happen? What should I learn from that? Uh, because when you live in a, in a place of anger or blame or disappointment, actually also very destructive emotion, you're, um, you victimize yourself. You, you, you're giving in, you're giving your power to someone else or something else, either a person or a circumstance. If you say to yourself, okay, this happened, uh, happened for a reason, uh, because it is guiding me in the direction where I need to go. Maybe, you know, I, I took the step to the left where I should have taken the step to the right, but now I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm not, hopefully not going to make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you move on. And, uh, you know, so seeing the best and everything and staying, Positive, optimistic, hopeful um, is the only way to get where you want to get. You don't want to get stuck in uh, resentment or, or guilt or victimization or, or anger or so on. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, wonderful. Thank you, Masha. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today, and I want to thank you for taking the time to, to chat with me. If the listeners would like to uh, see more about what you're working on or hear more about what you're working on, where is the best place they can go to find you? Well, you re- it was really an absolute pleasure. Uh, you're very skillful at uh, asking questions. I, I, I thoroughly, seriously, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I, and it was not pre-rehearsed, so this is great. Uh, <laughs> our conversation was really interesting, uh, and I appreciate you having me on your show. And I appreciate uh, anyone who took the time to listen. Uh, and as a gift to your listeners, what I'd like to do is if they go to my website, uh, Masha Malka, which is my name, dot com, M-A-S-H-A-M-A-L-K-A dot com slash free. There's going to be uh, uh, an e like free chapters from my, my latest books. Uh, my latest book with all the action steps and you will see how it is written. And there's a lot of very, very good advice. I picked the chapters carefully mm-hmm. uh, so that that is just free for them to download and to, to read. Oh, well, thank you. That's very generous. I will make sure that I put that in the show notes so thank people you. can click right through. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, once again, thank you for having me, and it's wonderful to meet you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.